This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And alhamdulillahi nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruh wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyi'ati a'malina. من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يدلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلوات الله والسلام عليه تسليما كثيرا أما بعض فإن خير الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار. We come to the next hadith and is the hadith of that tremendous illustrious companion Jabir ibn Abdullahi. May Allah be pleased with him and pleased with his father. Both of them were companions. And both of them were heavy in the scales. Jabir, may Allah be pleased with him, was from the ulama of the companions and from the younger companions who took the mantle of spreading the sunnah and the hadith after the Prophet's death, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Jabir described the Prophet in this hadith and he said, alayhi salam, kana nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wasallam idha khataba ihmarrat aynahu. وعلى صوته واشتد غضبه حتى كأنه منذر جيش يقول سبحكم ومساكم. In this hadith of Jabir, there are three parts to the hadith. The first part, he said that whenever the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would deliver the khutbah, the Friday sermon, the khutbah specific ibadah from the ibadat of Al Islam. This is not a khutbah. When he would deliver the khutbah on Friday, when all of the Muslims came to his masjid, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and all of the surrounding area, the masajid, they closed down. Everybody went to the central mosque to show the unity of the Muslims and to listen to the Nabi of Islam, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Jabir said, whenever he would deliver the khutbah, his eyes would become red while speaking and he would raise his voice and his anger would become more intense and he would say to the people who were listening from the companions, the audience, may Allah be pleased with them it was as if he was warning them of a pending army was going to come to attack them and he was there to tell them the army is going to attack you in the morning. Or he was there to tell them, the army is going to attack you to attack you tonight. So Jabir gave that description just to let the people know how passionate he was while delivering the khutbah. He didn't deliver the khutbah and he was just calm and he was just relaxed and he was talking. He delivered the khutbah as if the people that he was talking to, he was warning them of an army that was going to come and it was going to destroy them. Inshallah, we'll deal with a hadith in the future, bi-idhnillah called Al-Nazir Al-Uryan. Al-Nazir Al-Uryan is the naked warner. It was a person in the Arabian custom and in their society. His job was to stay on top of the highest mountain and he would just look north, south, east and west every day, all day. That was his job. And if he saw any army coming from any direction, any danger, it could be a hurricane, it could be anything. But usually he was the lookout man for an army, an enemy. He would run down off of the army if he saw, off of the mountain if he saw something. He would take all of his clothes off, strip all of his clothes off. And he would run into the city telling the people, the army is coming, the army is coming. Get out of here. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa said to his companions in another hadith, not today, 
He said, I am to you people like the naked mourner. I'm not going to take my clothes off because that's not permissible. But I'm like the naked mourner, meaning in the culture of the Arabs a long time ago, they didn't have radar. They didn't have all the technology that we had. So they did something very simple. You go up to the highest elevated mountain or whatever, and you just look all directions every day. Rasulullah said, I'm like that to you. The reason why I'm mentioning this hadith and the connection to the, our hadith today is, you can imagine if a man came running off of the mountain without his clothes on, screaming to the people saying, the army is coming, the army is coming, the enemy, get out of here. You can imagine what the response is going to be of the people who hear him. So in that hadith that the Prophet mentioned, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, I'm like the neck of Warner. And some of you people will listen to me the way the people listen to the naked warner and they'll get their things together and they'll pack their things, their belongings very easily, very calm, controlled and collected. They get all their stuff and they leave in the nighttime and they're saved because they listen to him. He was telling them what was going to destroy them. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, and yet there are others who when the naked warner came running off the mountain, they didn't pay him any attention. They just carried on like business as usual. And then they went home and they just relaxed at home. And then the army came and kicked open the door and subjugated them. So that hadith that the Prophet gave وسلم, is a hadith that's speaking to many of the hadith like this. And that is, he came and he gave dawah to that which will give good and warned about that which is evil. Some people listen to it and some people don't. So if you can imagine the naked warner running off of the mountain and a person just looked at him and didn't pay any attention to him, then there's something wrong with him. The same time and the same thing doing Rasulullah wasallam. his khutbah was a khutbah in which he was very passionate and he would talk in a way in which he let the people know this is serious. So that the people who attended his Juma, they had a week of knowledge and inspiration and motivation that they can go with until the next week. So this part of the hadith goes to show the etiquette of the khatib in al-Islam. When you don't know the religion, the khatib can give a passionate, fiery khutbah. And the people who are in the audience who don't know about Islam, they'll say, what is he upset about? Why is he so upset? Because they don't know. They take offense to the passion that the Imam gives in the khutbah. And then we have the other issue, and this is the majority of the case, and Allah knows best, and that is the vast majority of the masajid in al-Islam today, especially in the Arab world, your presence and your absence in terms of information is the same. Because the khatib doesn't know what he's talking about. He's boring and he's dry. And he's talking about a topic that has nothing to do with the price of peanuts. He's talking about something that's taking place on Pluto. On Pluto, the planet. And we're right here on planet Earth. And we're shaking our heads saying, what is this cat talking about? First of all, he's talking Arabic. We don't speak Arabic. We're reverse. We're not Arabs. He's speaking Urdu. I ain't no Urdu speaking person. What are you speaking Urdu to, to me for? I'm not against Urdu. But if we have a revert where 95, 99% of the people speak English, why are you going to force the people to have to go through an Urdu khutbah? Even your own children, our own Shabbat, who are Pakistani agents, so even they don't even understand the Urdu khutbah the way they understand their own khutbah in English. So you see, the Imam, the Khatib, he comes in, he has a khutbah book. It's a book that just printed out all of the khutbahs. He reads it right before the khutbah. He doesn't read it to get acquainted with it a week before. He gets up on the member, salamu alaikum, and he opens up the book. And then he starts doing the khutbah. And alhamdulillah, and as he starts to get the khutbah, he just rhymes in the beginning. It's just rhyme. 
And then after that, he says salat on the Prophet wasallam. He goes overboard. And then after that, he reads, he mentions the Khulafa Rashidin one by one and tells you about their seerah one by one. And then when it's only five minutes left or something, he starts reading the book and he starts to say, the streets of Baghdad are still filled with facade doing the Khilafah of the Amir al-Mu'mineen, Harun al-Rashid. Come on, man. You couldn't even change that. You couldn't even change that. That's how bad it is, the khutbah. But here, Jabir described the khutbah for the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the khutbah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He gave a khutbah. How was that khutbah? How was it? There are a lot of things they said about his khutbah that are not mentioned in this hadith, but only deal with what he mentioned in this hadith. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam radiyallahu anhum ajma'een. He would give the khutbah, and when he delivered that khutbah, his eyes became red. It was just not talking in a dars where you're munfa'il. No, his eyes became red. And his voice would raise up. And in addition to that, his anger would increase, his passion would increase. And it was as if he was warning the people of and an army that was going to pounce upon them. From the benefit of this part of the hadith of Jabir bin Abdullahi radiallahu anhu shows some of the etiquettes of how the khatib should be and how the khutbah should be in al-Islam. And it also goes to show about our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam what Allah described about him throughout the Qur'an and that was his concern for the ummah. The way he was in the khutbah is a delil, that passion, that he was concerned about the ummah. If a person doesn't care, doesn't care, then that's a sign. If they don't care, they won't, they won't shed tears, they won't be emotional. Our wives get upset, our husbands get upset, we get upset each, with each other, with our children, because we care. Once she stops getting upset, then that's a sign of delil, she doesn't care. He doesn't care. As for the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was passionate. He wanted the people to wake up, to pay attention, to listen to him. Allah said about him, many, many, many ayat of the Qur'an. لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِدْتُمْ هَرِيسٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَؤُوفُ الرَّحِيمِ there has come to you people from yourselves. A Nabi from yourselves is a human being. It bothers him greatly anything that will harm you people. Anything that will harm any one of you. It bothers him. It disturbs him. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because he had love for this ummah. And that was shown throughout his seerah. All of his da'wah was like that. Allah mentioned him in the Qur'an. The Nabi is closer to the believers than their own selves. If you go look at the tafsir of that ayah, some of the mufassirin, they say, the meaning that the believers are closer, the Rasul is closer to the believers than themselves, he's like their father. He's concerned about them. The father is more concerned about his child than the child is concerned about his own self. When his father says, don't do that, don't go there, no, I'm not going to allow it, it's out of love for the child. The child can't see that. He gets mad. He wants to do it anyway. Rasulullah was like that. In another hadith, similar to the naked warner, he said that he was like, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his example in his community is like the example of a group of people who made a big fire, a bonfire. They put a lot of wood and made fire in the desert. He said, and the moths, the butterflies, the fleas, the different kind of flies, they started hovering around the flyer, seeking light and seeking warmth. But when they would get close to it, they would get burned by the fire. Prophet Muhammad said, that's how I am to you people. I have a, 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 a belt around your waist and I'm pulling you. I'm pulling you back from the fire. But you're insisting on falling into the fire. The fire being the dunya. The fire being those things that are haram. 
the fire being those things that will make you a, a person who's destroyed. So he gave many examples. I'm like the naked warner. I'm like the fire that the, the, the flies fly around and burn the people up. This dunya will burn you up. So he gave us a lot of those hadith. But as it relates to this aspect of the hadith, I want to bring this to your attention. He described the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as being a person who cares about his ummah. So that's why he was passionate. That's why we get angry. Because the thing that, why else do you get angry? When your children do something. When your wife does something. Why does she get angry when you do something? When the children do something. Because love and concern. So we can give you too many examples of how the Nabi of Islam sallallahu alayhi wa sallam concerned himself and loved everybody in this ummah more than the parent loves his own child. Our mother Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. She was sitting with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She said, I know that he had a good, good personality. He was always gentle and easy. So I said to him, Ya Rasulullah, make dua for me. Make dua for me, which is a proof. You can ask someone to make dua for you. Because Aisha asked them, make dua for me. But don't ask people to make dua for me, you don't make dua for yourself. Don't ask people to make dua for you for something that is haram. Don't ask someone who's dead to make dua for you. So the Prophet made dua for her. He said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allahumma li Aishata. Oh Allah, forgive Aisha. Oh Allah, forgive Aisha her sins. The sins that she did in the past and the sins that she's going to do in the future. And the sins that she did in secret and the sins that she did in public. Aisha started smiling. He said, what makes you smile, Aisha? She said, I like that dua. I was just amazed at the dua. She was smiling. Prophet Muhammad said, Wallahi, that's the dua that I say in every salat for all of my community. For all of my community. So the Nabi on a daily basis, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, used to ask Allah for you, 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 me, all of us. Oh Allah, forgive so-and-so for his sins that he did in the past, that he's going to do in the future, the ones he did hidden and the ones he did in public. How can that not be an example of the love, the care, the mercy, the concern the Prophet had for this ummah, sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam. So before moving on, I want to make this point very clear, khwani. The khutbah of the Nabi, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is not something you just got up there and you just start talking. There are do's and don'ts about the khutbah that you should read about. How to do it and how not to do it. Is holding the sword from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Is holding a stick, a staff, a cane from the sunnah of the Nabi ﷺ. Is holding an arrow or a bow from his sunnah. Well, some scholars said that. But it's your job to go back and to read and to know what and how was the khutbah of the Prophet because it's important. Concerning his khutbah ﷺ, when he said his voice used to get loud. That shouldn't be understood that when you give a khutbah, you go screaming like a madman. Because that's another issue that the community has with the khutaba, those khatibs who are just way too overboard and too emotional. So you have the one over here who sleep, he's boring, he's dry, is dead. And over here you have the one who's too animated. That it is majawizatul had, he went beyond. The khutbah should be something strong, as the hadith said. And plus, as Allah mentioned in ayat of the Qur'an, there are times when you should be loud. But for the most part, don't be a loud person. That's not from good akhlaq. Allah Ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an, for an example, وَخْفَدْ مِنْ صَوْتِكَ Lower your voice. Lower your voice when you talk. Because the worst voice is the brain of an ass, the brain of a donkey who's real loud. It wouldn't even be appropriate for me to try to mock and mimic the sound. Whenever you hear that sound, it's because that donkey saw shaitan. 
You got a terrible sound. So that ayat of the Quran, Surah Luqman, don't talk out loud. Some of us, I know as an African American, our culture is we're very animated Africans with our hands, we're loud. What man wants to have a wife who's loud? Takes her to the restaurant, the guy comes to the order, she's loud, just all the time loud. It's not a good quality for a man or a woman. But there are times, there are times when raising your voice is okay. Like in the khutbah. Prophet Muhammad was told by Allah in the Quran, Ya ayyuhal nabi, harradil mu'minina ala al-qital, in yakun minkum ishroon sabirun, yaglabu mi'atain. O nabi, make the companions, make them, excite them, agitate them, and make them get up so they can go and fight. So whenever they used to make jihad, they would take timeouts and they would take breaks. And when they would take a break, the non-Muslims would take a break. It was their cultures, the way they fought. They didn't just keep fighting non-stop. They would fight and then take a break. You go over there, you go over there. And then they would re-engage. There were a lot of things they used to do. They would have duels before they started. The point here is, when the Muslims would take a break, the Prophet ﷺ was told in this ayah of the Qur'an, Agitate them, encourage them. You see, they're sitting there, they're tired, they're discombobulated, they don't want to get up, they're lethargic, then you go. And he would go and start talking about what's in the Jannah. He would start talking about the shortness of this life. And they would give him his, their undivided attention, and lo and behold, after they heard this talk, they would get up and they're ready to go, pumped up. Just like those of you who play sports, soccer, basketball, football, whatever sport you play, you got to talk to your teammates to get them pumped up. Prophet Muhammad used to do that with the companions. Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam tasneeman kathira. So the shahidu min al-kalam, there's a time to be loud. There's a time to raise your voice. And then there's a time which is the normal time. Talk quietly. Don't be loud. Allah said about the disbelievers, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ يَعْلَمُ اللَّهُ مَا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ فَأَعْرَضْ عَنْهُمْ وَعِذْهُمْ وَقُلْ فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ قَوْلًا غَرِيذًا Those are the people that Allah knows about them. Allah knows what's in their hearts. Allah knows. So turn away from them, Muhammad. Don't pay attention to them. Turn away from them and don't pay any attention to them. And warn them. Give them an exhortation that you will cause their souls to be affected. So the Prophet would start warning people, here's an ayat telling you, this is a time and a place where you should say the kalam that's going to penetrate the mind and the souls of the people. So all of it goes and shows and it indicates that we got to be balanced. We have to be balanced. So there's a time and a place. And the ibadat of al-Islam, usually we should be quiet. But there are some ibadat of al-Islam, you're allowed to be loud. Give me an example of an ibadah where you're allowed to be loud. Someone give me an example. Naam? Huh? The khutbah, other than that. Someone give me an ex- another example from the ibadat of al-Islam. Huh? The adhan. Give me another one. The, the takbir of the Eid. Any more? There are many. Taraweeh is out loud. For an example, for an example, the Hajj. The Hajj. The companions when they were traveling for Hajj, they used to say loud. Labbaik Allahumma labbaik. They used to say their talbiyah loud. By the time they arrived, their throats were sore by the time they came back. So that's the time, that's from the Sunnah. That when you're making Hajj Umrah, you say the Talbiyah loud, not crazy. There were some people traveling with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And his Sunnah is whenever you go up, is you say Allahu Akbar. If you go up, elevator, the lift, the airplane, whatever, helicopter, whatever, roller coaster. If you go up, you should say Allahu Akbar. And when you go down, you say SubhanAllah, because Allah is not down. 
Allah is over his heaven. So when you start going down, you say, SubhanAllah, glorifying Allah because he is not down. He's over the seven heavens, over his throne, in a way that befits his majesty. So the people were screaming, Allahu Akbar, going down. Supan screaming. And the Prophet said to them, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ya ayyuhan nas, arbaru ala anfusikum, fainnakum la tad'una asam, wala ghaiba, walakinnakum tad'una sami'an qariba, wa huwa aqrab ila ahadikum min unuq rahilatihi. Hey you people, have mercy upon yourselves. You're not calling on one who can't hear and one who is absent. You're calling on one who hears and he's close. He is closer to one of you than the neck of his animal. He is closer to the believer, closer than his jugular vein. With the malaika writing one, two, the other ones, Allah can see, hear everything. So in this particular ayat ikhwani, in this hadith, it shows us the balance. In the ibadat of al-Islam, some of them you do out loud, and some of them you do between yourself and between Allah, like the dua. Allah Ta'ala made a prohibition, and he mentioned in the Quran, subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ فِي نَفْسِكَ تَدَرَّعًا وَخُفْيَةً Call on your Lord within yourself, not out loud. And when you call on him, be humble and be quiet. So the dua in al-Islam is like that. It's not out loud like this, like the people be doing, unless you're learning and you say it in one voice and it's a little loud, but not the way we see these people on the internet where we see these um, people acting in a way that is not acceptable. ادعوا ربكم تضرعا وخفيتا انه لا يحب المعتدين the ayah said call on your law make dua with humility and quietly Allah doesn't love those people who go overboard being all loud that's between you and Allah so that's the first part of the hadith the second part of the hadith Jabir went on to say that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or the first part, he said to the people, Sabahakum Allah masakum. He was like a person who was warning the people of the army that was going to destroy them. And he said, the army is coming. The army is coming, it's going to get you. And then he went on to mention sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Bu'ithtu bayna yaday sa'ati kahateen. After Jabir told them what the Prophet was used to be like, he said that he said, and this is the hadith, I have been sent close to the hour, I've been sent close to Yomul Qiyamah. And he put his fingers together like this. The point and finger, a sababa, and al wusta, the middle finger. In Al Islam, each one of these fingers have a name. This is the sababa, because you do like this. And this is the middle fingers, the middle of the five fingers, these two fingers. So the Prophet ﷺ has been close to Yomul Qiyamah, and that goes and shows that there's no Nabi after him. No Rasul and no Nabi is coming after Rasulullah. Anyone who believes that Elijah Muhammad is a Rasul, you're a Kafir. Elijah Muhammad is a Kafir. Anyone who believes, Mir. Ghulam, Ahmed, Mirza, Ghulam, Ahmed. After the Nabi is a Rasul, you're a kafir billah. You're outside of the religion. Allah Ta'ala has made the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the khatim of the Anbiya and the Rasul. Ma, he's nothing other than that. Ma kana Muhammadun aba ahadamim rijalikum walakin Rasulallahi wa khatiman nabiyyin. Muhammad is not the father of any of you men. But he is the messenger of Allah and he is the seal of all of the prophets. So he said, I've been sent close to the hour like this. No other nabi is coming. In addition to that, this part of the hadith goes to show this is important. A yoke, the program. It goes to show that 
when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam is from the minor signs. So understand this, Ya Abdullah. The signs of Yawm al-Qiyamah are of two types, two categories. The major signs and they're ten. And they're going to come at the end of time. Isa ibn Maryam, the Dajjal, the Mahdi, all of those things are from the major signs. Once one of them comes, the next nine are going to come in quick succession and the Yawm al-Qiyamah is done, is finished. But the smaller signs, the minor signs, they're many. We're seeing the minor signs right now. There are many. Corona is a minor sign. There are many. Some of them have happened. Some of them are still happening. And some of them have not happened yet. So there are two types of signs of Yom Al-Qiyamah that let people know Yom Al-Qiyamah is close. So Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam being sent by Allah is a sign that Yom Al-Qiyamah is close. This hadith said, Bu'ithu ana kahatain. I've been sent along with the hour at the same time like this. Another hadith in the mini hadith, he says, Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alayhi wa sallam, Bu'ithu bayna yaday nasamisa'a. I have been sent when the first wind of the hour started to blow. Like the name Nasim. Nasim is a nice wind that comes. Nasima. It's a nice wind that gives you our, uh, relief in the desert. He said, I was sent close to the Nasim Asa'a. Meaning, the first whiff, the first wind, the first breath of Yom Al-Qiyamah, the first one. Rasulullah was sent with it. So some of the scholars of Islam are of the opinion that the very first sign that Yom Al-Qiyamah is close is when Allah sent Prophet Muhammad to the world Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Now a lot of us Ikhwani are living and we're feeling and we're thinking we're promised tomorrow and we're walking around as if the world is going to last for a long time but once Prophet Muhammad came to the people and he came out Alayhi Salatu Wasalam that means Yom Al-Qiyamah can be any moment, any time because now if those major signs happen, one of the signs of Yom Al-Qiyamah, minor sign, is time will become shorter, quicker. Right now, we're Monday already. I remember just the other day, it was Thursday, and we're Monday already. It's going to be Friday before we know it, inshallah. Time is going to fly. The weeks and the months and the years in your lifetime. How old are you, my man? Twenty, that's all? You're still a baby. You were just a little kid 20, 19 years old ago, 19 years ago. Time is flying. So from the Ashrat al-Sa'a is that when those major signs come, time is going to be flying still. So everybody has to look at this issue as if it's an issue that is serious. We look at it being serious. Just as regular death can come to any individual from amongst us at any time. Likewise, Yom Al-Qiyamah, where Allah Ta'ala calls everyone to account, can be at any moment, any minute, any day as well. So that second part of the hadith, it shows that from what he said. May Allah be pleased with Jabir ibn Abdullahi. And may Allah Azrajal have mercy upon and have his salawat upon the Nabi of Islam sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now the last part of the hadith which concerns us and it's why the shaykh brought this in his book for the hadith is connected to the last hadith from last week. The hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas that said that the Nabi would send his companions like Mu'adh ibn Jabal to Al-Yemen and he would tell him you're going to a group of people who are from Ahl al-Kitab. So make the first thing you call them to is La ilaha illallah. And he emphasized for him the tawheed of Allah. And that's what we talked about last week. This week, inshallah today, this hadith is about the second half of La ilaha illallah. Last week it just said, make sure that they make Allah one. Yuwahidullah. They worship Allah alone. That's all it mentioned. It didn't mention the second half. And tell them to take the sunnah. didn't mention that. But now this week, the shaykh brings this hadith of Jabir, the son of Abdullah. May Allah be pleased with both of them. Because it's said in the second part of the hadith. 
that the Prophet would say in his khutbah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam inna khayr al-kalam, inna khayr al-hadith kalamullah the best speech is the speech of Allah wa khayr al-huda huda muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa sharr al-umur muhtathatuha wa kullu bid'atin dalala verily the best speech is the speech of Allah and the best guidance guidance of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the worst affairs are the innovations that people innovate and every innovation every innovation is going astray every going straight leads to hellfire so in concluding this is what the Prophet used to say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in khutbatul hajjah Jabir ibn Abdullah he said Rasulullah would teach us khutbatul hajjah with the same emphasis that he would teach us a surah from the Quran so our children who memorize surah al-mujadilah and other than that they should start now working on khutbatul hajjah because of its importance so every Friday every Friday from the khutbah and from the etiquette of the khutbah and the etiquettes of the khatib is that the Rasul alayhi salatu salam used to say khutbatul hajjah every Friday every Eid whenever he wanted to address the people he would say khutbatul hajjah or aspects of it because it's so important so that's what was mentioned here inna khayr al-hadith kalamullah the best speech is the speech of Allah your speech is not the best speech. My speech is not the best speech. Your sheikh's speech is not the best speech. Listen to me right now. One of the brothers in the masjid was wearing a ring on this finger. I shook the brother's ring and I said, listen, there's a prohibition for a man wearing a ring on these two fingers. He said, okay. I respect that he respects me as being a teacher, he respects me, but what I want to see him do and what I want to see you guys do is take your phone out right away and fact check what people are telling you. Don't be one of those people just because the sheikh said it, whoever he happens to be, whatever level he is, that's not revelation. You go back and check if you don't know for sure. And this way you'll be in a position to tell the next person what the ruling is and you have no doubt about it. You read it. You know it. So I want from the students, I want my children, I want my family to be of those people who just because someone said it, that's just it. It's just like that. Just because he said it. No. And that's not to be disrespectful to anyone. But people make mistakes. Everybody make mistakes. And some of, you, some of you know, maybe you don't know. So you fact check your stuff. The best kalam is the kalam of Allah. If a person gets used to listen to the kalam of Allah, he'll find it very difficult to listen to the kalam of Elijah Muhammad. He can't listen to that stuff. Louis Farrakhan. He can't listen to that mess, that nonsense. He can't listen to the gibberish of ignorant people who are supposed to have knowledge and they're just talking. Can't listen to it. So the best speech is the speech of Allah, the Quran. And it's the best speech because it is the actual speech of Allah. It's the speech that he spoke in a way that befits his majesty. From him that speech began and to him that speech is going to return, subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the best speech in his ahkam, in his adad, in his adil. It's the best speech in its information, in its beauty. It's the best speech. So when someone asks you something, don't give them your opinion, talking out of the side of your neck. Give a whole lecture, 45 minutes, one hour. No ayat, no hadith. All you're telling us, Sheikh Rabi said, Sheikh Rabi said, or whoever the Sheikh is. Teach us our religion, Ya Abdullah. You don't want to just hear that? The kalam of Allah. Allah mentioned about the Quran in the Quran. Why is the best speech? لا يأتيه الباطل من بين يديه لا يأتيه الباطل من بين يديه ولا من خلفه No falsehood can come to that Quran from in front of it or after it.
Before it was revealed, no falsehood. After it was revealed, no one could come and change it. Even if people were saying the Quran is not preserved and all that. The Quran is the best speech because no, no falsehood can be connected to it or attributed to it. It's the best speech because Allah mentioned about it in the Quran. About it. the Quran This Quran guides to that which is best. That's why it's the best speech. Someone else's speech, some other destor, it doesn't guide to what's best. The Quran. And that's why Allah told the Prophet in so many ayat. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wajahidhum bihi jihadan kabira. Make jihad with this book against the people. Why with the book? Because the book is knowledge. You want to give da'wah? Don't give da'wah based upon your, you, you think, your life, your experiences. It's the best book because... وَمَنْ أَعْرَضَ عَنْ ذِكْرِي فَإِنَّ لَهُ مَعِيشَةَ الضَّنْكَ You turn away from that book, you're going to have a tough time. That's why it's the best book. Because if you make إِعْرَاضَ عَنْ you turn, turn away from it, you are in trouble. فَإِمَّا يَأْتِيَنَّ مِنِّي هُدًا فَمَنْ تَبِعَ هُدَايَا فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزُنُونَ Allah said, anybody who follows this guidance, after it's been sent to me, anybody who follows the guidance, then they won't be afraid. Those people, they won't be sad. Just follow the guidance. The book of Allah is the best book. And that is the best kalam. So therefore, ikhwani, is in our best interest, inshallah, to acquaint ourselves with the book of Allah. I'm seeing brothers who have been in this class for years with me. Walhamdulillah. I want to say especially to you revert brothers, but to everybody. We all have to do a better job with learning the Qur'an. Learning how to read it, learning to memorize it. Those two issues. How to read it and how to memorize it. Focus should be on them for everybody here. If you're not already doing that. Once the person gets acquainted with the book of Allah, he doesn't have melal. He doesn't get bored. He doesn't get, you know person reads the Quran, he wants them to hurry up and finish. He gets bored from the other people's kalab. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, rahmatullahi alayhi, was a tremendous scholar in al-Islam. Tremendous scholar. As time went on and he was getting older, he was crying about the time that he didn't spend with the Quran. He was crying about the time that he didn't spend with the Quran, which is kind of difficult to imagine because we know he didn't get married and all of his life was spent in jihad, physical jihad, and in teaching the religion. So if he wasn't reading the Quran, then who's reading the Quran? But it just goes to show he wanted even more than that. So, علينا بكتاب الله تعالى تلاوة وتجويدا وحفظا وتطبيقا ودعوة We have to connect ourselves to the book of Allah Especially, especially Learning how to read it correctly ورتل القرآن ترتيلا Read that Quran correctly Allah said the last part of the hadith went on to say the best guidance is the guidance of Muhammad Sallallahu and the worst affairs are the newly invented affairs. Some of the scholars said that the bid'ah is worse, is the worst sin because of this hadith. Because the hadith says sharul amur muhtathatuha. The worst affairs are the innovations. But the worst, single worst sin in the whole dunya is what? Is a shirkun billahi. In Allah Allah won't forgive that you make shik with him But he'll forgive anything else other than that Tell them ya Muhammad Oh my servants who have gone overboard And you did a lot of sins Don't give up Hope And don't despair That Allah will forgive you Don't despair Allah will forgive anything and everything Except that you make shit with him. Abdullah bin Mas'ud said that the man said, Ya Rasulullah, what's the worst thing that a man could do? He said, Al-Ishraq Billah. What is the biggest sin? He said, Al-Ishraq Billah. 
to make sins, to make sins. And then after that, qatl al-nafs, to kill someone unjustly. And then after that, aquq al-walidain, being bad to your parents. So this issue of a shirk is bigger than bid'ah. But bid'ah is a major sin. It is a kabira from the kabair. Now listen, we have to understand, ikhwani, when it comes to sins, there are two kinds of sins. You have the major sin and you have the minor sin. You don't have the in-between. Allah said in the Quran, إِن تَجْتَنِبُوا كَبَائِرَ مَا تُنْهَوْنَ عَنْهُ نُكَفِّرْ عَنْكُمْ سَيِّئَاتِكُمْ وَنُدْخِلْكُمْ مُدْخَلًا كَرِيمًا If you stay away from the major sins, if you stay away from the big ones, then we'll wipe the little ones away. And we'll cause you to go into the Jannah with an honorable entering. So that ayat clearly shows major sins. You've got to stay away from them. وَالَّذِينَ يَجْتَنِبُونَ كَبَائِلَ الْإِثْمُ وَالْفَوَاحِشِ وَإِذَا مَا غَدِبُوا إِذَا هُمْ يَغْفِرُونَ Those people who هكذا الآيات وَالَّذِينَ يَجْتَنِبُونَ كَبَائِلَ الْإِثْمُ كَبَائِلَ الْإِثْمُ وَالْفَوَاحِشِ وَإِذَا مَا غَدِبُوا إِذَا هُمْ يَغْفِرُونَ those people avoid the major sins. They avoid the major sins. They avoid them. And the major things. And if they become angry, lo and behold, they forgive people. They forgive people. Another ayat. Two ayats. So it's not okay for people to come and reject that and say all of the sins are on the same level. Those people who avoid the major sins except the lemon, those things you have to fall into. You turn like that and you see something that you didn't mean to see, but you see it. You touch something, you walk to something, you say something, and these things that you're doing, they're from those sins that you just couldn't help it, that your eyes fell in on it and this like that. Prophet told the people, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Stay away from the seven destructive sins. So they are major sins and minor sins. Uh, bid'ah is from the major sins. They will destroy you. Great scholar in Islam, one of the two Sufyans, Sufyan ibn Uyayna. Sufyan ibn Uyayna, tremendous scholar in Islam. He said, Rahmatullahi ta'ala alayhi, that concerning the issue of innovation, that the shaitan beautifies the innovation to the person, so he makes the person never want to make toba from the innovation. This is the big problem with the innovation. Listen, the person, the hadith says, all innovation is in the hellfire. All innovations, everything that's been introduced in the religion, that wasn't there during the time of the Nabi in the ibadat of al-Islam, the aqid of al-Islam. And he didn't condone it, endorse it. He didn't introduce it. Then the person who's doing that, that thing is in the hellfire. The person will go to the hellfire. And people are trying to get close to Allah, make a taqarrub with what is in the hellfire. I don't care how much and how much, how much passion and how much jumping down, up and down, how much they scream, that's not from the religion. So as it relates to innovation, there are three types of innovation we want to mention to you in this hadith. The hadith said, Sharul Umur Muhtasatuha. This is talking about the innovations that are not the ones that take you outside of Islam. The ones that take you outside of Islam, they're in the hell fine, all that, no doubt. But this hadith is talking about the innovations in the deen. The innovations, they don't take you outside of Islam. Another type of innovation, so there's the innovation that is mukaffara. If you fall into it, you're a kafir. That thing that you're saying is disbelief. And then there's the innovation that is a real innovation. It has no proof on it. For an example, the molded. There's absolutely no proof for the motive, no matter where you look. And I'll give you 5,000 pounds if you can prove that to me today, tomorrow, next Thursday. I'm going to give you 5,000 pounds. Nothing to be mad, upset about. We don't have to be enemies. 
I'm just going to break you off with 5,000 pounds. Wallahi. Just bring the delil, the clear delil. But there's no delil. They call that an innovation that is a real innovation. There's no proof for it. There's no proof for, in, for birthdays in the religion. Your birthday, my birthday. Those are innovations that are hakikia. They're real. No proof for it. The third type of innovation is what's known as the innovation, the bid'ah that is idafiya. And the majority of the innovations are like this. They're the thing that has a delil to it, has a delil. But the way the people are practicing it is wrong. It's wrong. That's an innovation. They have delil. And this is the vast majority of innovations. And it comes from what's known as istihsan. You look at it and say, oh, it looks good. And I'm like, i give you an example. The prayer in Jama'at is 27 times better than the prayer where you do by yourself. That's thabit. So someone comes up with the bright idea and they say, okay, since praying Jama'at 27 times better than the prayer by yourself, let's pray the Sunnah prayers, the Sunnah and Nawafil and Jama'at. So now we're going to pray Salat al-Isha next. We're going to pray the Sunnahs together. One imam and everybody together. And we take that general hadith. The salat and jama'at is better than 27 by yourself. We say, brother, this hadith is talking about something else. But it is a delil. But he's using it the wrong way. That's the delil or the bid'ah ibafiyah. The majority of innovations come from this thing. So all innovations are in the hellfire. And the strange thing is people who love innovations, they always mention the same thing. And they say, but the prophet didn't have a microphone. But the prophet didn't have a car. But the prophet didn't have glasses. But the prophet didn't have a telephone. And we say, Ajil, you're absolutely right. And nobody said that that's an innovation. The innovation is what's introduced in the religion. In the deen, that's the problem. That's why he said, "Man Anyone who introduces into our religion what's not from it, then that will be rejected. Not if someone introduced something into our life. You want to give us a fan and we put in the masjid? No problem. Ahlu wasahlan. No problem. You talking about you want to give us some nice chairs even the chairs we can recline like this on you want to do that we're not going to say that's an innovation it's in the dunya Allah made this dunya for us no problem Abdullah ibn Mas'ul said about the issue may Allah be pleased with him he said kullu ibadatin lam لم يتعبدها أصحاب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فلا تتعب فلا تعبدوا بها. Every ibadah that the companions ibadah that the companions didn't do, then don't do it. Ibadah innovation is in ibadah. Innovation is not in this other stuff. So for my nikah, for my daughter, we want to have a chocolate cake. a strawberry cake and a vanilla cake and want to put them all on top of each other. Somebody going to say, that's innovation, Papa Mama didn't do that? I could do that all day long. That's my dunya. Although a nikah is from the abwab of the deen, but this thing is from your dunya. And it's just an amazing thing that they all say that. Papa Mama didn't have a microphone. He didn't have a... Innovation is... When a person introduces in the religion of Al-Islam that which is not from the religion. You guys got that? So there are three types. The innovation that is mukaffara Takes you outside of the religion. Someone says that he's a Nabi. Ba'da Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a bid'ah. Tukhrijuhu an al-deen. An al-millah. He's done. And then there's the bid'ah that is haqiqiyah. It's the real. That thing. You don't have any delil for that. Then there's the idafia, the thing that there's some delil, but it's being used the wrong way. So stay away from the innovations because it's the way of the Prophet wasallam that is the path to a success. Al-Imam Malik, rahmatullahi ta'ala alayhi, a man came to him 
and and Imam Malik saw the man after Salatul Fajr. After Fajr, he kept praying. And after Fajr, he got up and he started praying. Before Ishraq. So maybe the first two rakat, he missed Rakat al-Fajr. Khayrun min al-dunya ma fiha. Maybe. He got up again and prayed two more. Got up again and prayed two more. Got up again. And Imam Malik stopped him and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid that Allah will punish you. The man said, Ya Imam, Allah is going to punish me for some prayers? He said, no. Allah will punish you for mukhalifah to sunnah. Because you're going against the sunnah. This salat you're doing is not from our religion. After Salatul Fajr, you get up, you keep praying, two, 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 two. That's not our religion. Another man came to Imam Malik. Tremendous man. The man said, I want to make hajj. So where should I make the, where should I make the um, ihram from? So if you want to perform hajj umrah, you have to go to the miqat, five miqat, depending on where you're coming from. People in Medina, they go to Dhul Hulayfa, Dhul Hulayfa. So where do I go? He said, yeah, you go to Dhul Hulayfa. He said, nah, nah, I want to make my ihram from the Prophet's masjid. It's better than Dhul Hulayfa. And I want to make it close to his grave too. There's nothing special about Dhul Hulayfa other than what the Prophet said. Rasulullah said at Dhul Hulayfa, 70 prophets pray there. So pray here. So if you're making Hajj Umrah and you're there, if you can pray there, فَبِهِ وَنِعْمَةً There's no special prayer, but that's what's special about that place. That's it. But they tell us by that place is the, 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 the well of Ali. Well, Ali killed the jinn and all of this khurafat. So now when you go there, the Bedouins will tell you come and throw money in the thing. And then they pull the money out and that's how they make money. And you, 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 you give him money, make a wish inside of the jinn well. You take a few steps over here, another one got a camel. And he say, Hajj, come, get on a camel. And you get up on a camel with your ihram. And we're in the bus trying to go to Mecca and you over here lollygagging around. We get that every year. The hustle of the Bedouins. They get, it, they get the brothers taking these pictures. No, 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 no. As it relates to that, the man said, I'm going to make it from the prophet's mischief and the grave. Verily, those places are better than Vulhulayfa. And Imam, ah, and Imam Malik said, I'm afraid for you. The fitna, fitna. He said, no, it's just a few extra miles. I know Prophet Muhammad's masjid is here to get the Dhul Hulayfa. It's just a few extra miles. So what's the big deal? What fitna are you afraid of? He said, the fitna that I'm afraid of is for you to think it's possible for you to do a good deed that Prophet Muhammad didn't do. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How can you come up with the idea, the bright idea that making ihram at the masjid by his grave is better than what he showed you? And that's what happened. And that's the situation. Wallahi. Anyone who says that an innovation in his religion is okay, then he has accused Rasulullah of not taking care of the risala. Allah mentioned in the Quran, اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم وأتممت عليكم نعمتي ورضيت لكم الإسلام الدين. Your religion is complete today. Finish. If anybody comes and said, no, no, it's not finished. Take the molet. With no disrespect. Person, I got love for him. The sheikh, the sheikh, I got love. I'm not trying to put you down. And I'm not trying to be rough and tough and disrespectful. But I don't care what the sheikh say. And how passionate he is about it. The sheikh will never be able to prove that the motive of the prophet is from this deen. Never. So whoever came up with it and whoever is doing it right now, you're saying that Allah is lying. Allah is wrong. Prophet Muhammad, the religion is not complete. And a delil that is not complete, we need you to introduce the motive. Or to introduce whatever dhikr these people are making or whatever people are doing. The bay'ah that some of these jama'at give. We're right here in the city of Birmingham. So many people giving bay'ah here, bay'ah to the guy in London, bay'ah. No bay'ah like that in this religion. There is bay'ah. But not like this. That's the bid'ah idafiyah. That you're using that bay'ah for your sheikh like that. 
So we're going to stop here, inshallah, uh, concerning the issue of innovation, avoided any shape, form, or fashion. And our success is only with Allah. And stay balanced. Stay balanced in these issues. Stay balanced in your deen. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.